The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles. I'm Rob Moyer. And with the knowledge of Rachel Carson and the courage of Homer's Achilles, Individuals are steadfastly going the distance to defend wildlife and ecosystems from assaults of environmental degradations. Individuals, and we'll talk to some today, are overcoming obstacles and perceptions, turning forlorn hope into effective actions for oceans, rivers, watersheds, wildlife, and ecosystems. I like the phrase ocean river, which I take from Homer and Carson, because it speaks to systems thinking. Oceans and rivers are overlapping ecosystems that lack clear boundaries. They are seamlessly connected. They rise and fall, ebb and flow together. The ways of the otter and salmon are not restricted to river, estuary, or ocean. To them and to others, ecosystems are one. So if we are to manage better, we must not think in boxes in bounded spaces. We must recognize how dynamic and changing ecosystems are. Uh, we must listen broadly, must think systemically, look for the interconnections, and expect the unexpected links, the unimagined interactions. So I invite you to voyage with us to discover how, by listening to individuals uh, and by acting in concert with others, you can help save ecosystems. You can act to bring about greener and bluer planet Earth. So I'm broadcasting today from the Provincetown Center for Coastal Studies out on Cape Cod, uh, Richard Delaney is my host. Rich, are you there? Well, he, he's in a, we're hosting the uh, Mass Ocean Program, and he is uh, currently tied up with uh, being host of that. They are planning how better to manage the state waters of Massachusetts here in Provincetown. Also with me today are David Helvard from Blue Visions. And before I bring David on, I'd like to update you with some duck and paddle notes. I have two notes today. Last week, we noted that we noted the black, hairy blob of filamentous algae in the Chutkai Sea, north of the Bering Sea in the Arctic Ocean. And later in today's show, Mike Dunmeyer of Ocean Champions will tell us more about the threat of algal monstrosities in our ocean. And with him, we hope, will be joined uh, Congressman Brian Baird from Washington State. And the congressman will tell us what he's legislating uh, for responsible, uh, for, in response to the algal blooms uh, up on Capitol Hill in D.C. The other duck and paddle note is that the Society for the Conservation and Study of Caribbean Birds at their conference, which was called Beyond the Beach Birds and Tourism 
for Sustainable Islands. The Society awarded the President's Award to Bermuda Audubon Society's President, Andrew Dobson, for his effort in protecting birds in Bermuda and across the Caribbean. This award is most deserved by Andrew Dobson because he was involved in much advocacy work in the region, including efforts to protect the Grenada Dove, the Puerto Rican Nightjar, and the habitat of Jamaica's cockpit country, now recognized as the world's number two biodiversity hotspot. Andrew has worked tirelessly for conservation in Bermuda, and I personally am most grateful for the time that Andrew took on short notice to take me down to just the right spot on the shore at just the right time, instructed to look at just the right distance out to see Bermuda Cahows, a large tube-nosed petrel looking more like scimitar's shearwaters scribing the waves about five miles offshore. Uh, the Cahow was classified as extinct in 1680, and it was only rediscovered in recent decades. Uh, in Bermuda, it's David Wingate who has dedicated his life to restoring the cahau and building nesting habitats for this Lazarus bird. The government of Bermuda's conservation officer, Jeremy Medeiros, also attended the society's conference. Uh, and Jeremy is picking up on Wingate's work, and he gave a presentation on the cahau translocation project and breeding success of the white-tailed tropic bird, or what we call Bermuda longtails. So that's our other duck and paddle note. Dave, Dave Helvarg uh, is known to most of us for his work starting the Blue Visions conference, uh, Blue Visions effort, and uh, I will let Dave uh, introduce himself more fully to us. Uh, Dave, you there, and how are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, actually, I'm, I'm president of the Blue Frontier campaign, and uh, which is a uh, Small organizations, actually only two of us, but lots of good friends and supporters and board members. And, and our purpose, uh, our mission statement is to promote unity, provide tools to, and raise awareness of the uh, seaweed, marine grassroots community, and, and how ocean and coastal conservation groups are providing solutions at work. One of the ways we do that is, is holding periodic uh, uh, celebrations of the sea and, and these Blue Vision summits. The most recent was in March, where we uh, with the new administration, our, our Obama being our first body-surfing president, we brought together over 400 ocean leaders, uh, ocean and coastal leaders from around the country, um, around three themes, which is, is to uh, encourage federal action for ocean protection, to talk about the links between ocean and climate, and also to talk about solutions that are working at different scales and, and the need to uh, to take the solutions that we, we know uh, exist and, and bring them up to a uh, national and global level, uh, the response level that's needed, because uh, the oceans are in trouble, and in serious trouble, and the most frustrating part of it is that we mostly know what the solutions are. We have to create the political will to act on them, though. So um, tell us about, you know, tell us more about the state of the oceans. Well, it's, um, they're not, not very healthy at the moment. It's this cascading series of environmental insults from industrial overfishing for the global seafood market. Uh, we, we essentially uh, adapted technologies from warfare, uh, and, and we saw this growth of technology, uh, sonar and radar, now satellite and, and uh, aerial tracking of fish, uh, hardened, hardened uh, hulls and stronger engines and uh, plastic uh, monofilament netting that uh, we're essentially now able to take fish out of the ocean faster than they can reproduce. We take some 90 million tons a year. That's the equivalent of, uh, there are only 12 aircraft carriers out there, but I remember being on one at night, this four-acre deck, you know, it's a 
huge, impressive uh, operation, and, and yet we take the equivalent of uh, almost 200 aircraft carriers in, in living biomass out of the ocean every year. Good and, grief. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, so as, as I say, we're, we've developed this global seafood network that's insatiable, that's, that's taking fish fast, and they can reproduce. A uh, good science report a few years ago said 90% of the large pelagic open ocean fish have disappeared since 1950. Uh, essentially, in the, in the course of my lifetime, it's not really that they disappeared. We know where they went on the plates of our uh, of our white linen restaurants and supermarkets, mostly in the developed world. Um, at the same time, we're we're taking out the habitats, the coastal regions that we need if we're going to restore wild fisheries. We're losing the uh, uh, the estuaries and the and the mangrove swamps and the and the seagrass meadows and the corals that are essential habitat for protecting. Um, marine wildlife and the potential restoration of wild fisheries, and, and we're losing this to coastal sprawl and development and uh, really thoughtless kinds of short-term thinking that will take out mangroves for, for waterfront hotels or for shrimp farms that don't really help provide part of the solution. So we've got overfishing, coastal sprawl, and pollution, which is, is both nutrient runoff from factory farms and cities, um, agricultural waste, um, factory farming of, of hogs and chickens in areas like the Chesapeake Bay. You just have this massive pulse of, of uh, nitrogen and phosphate pollution that, that grows a second crop. You know, we put 140 pounds of uh, synthetic fertilizer on every acre plus holds gravity through our watershed through the Mississippi and, and creates a second uh, crop of algae in the Gulf of Mexico every, every spring after the spring floods. And and this uh, this algae is eaten on by, by microbes that essentially suck the oxygen out of the water and create these massive dead zones. In addition, of course, plastic has become a huge problem. Where well, excuse me for a sec, but so what kind of size are these dead zones in the Gulf of Mexico? The Gulf of Mexico is one of the largest of over 250 the U.N. identifies, about the size of Connecticut at this point. It's the state of Connecticut. Yeah, this is... This is not just some some farms fertilizer just killing a little piece of the ocean. This, you're talking you're talking a lot of miles, square miles. We're talking about 8,500 square miles. We're talking the effects of of industrial agriculture throughout uh, the American heartland, and farmers are beginning to understand that you know that there are better ways, more selective use of nutrients and nitrogen, uh, so you don't have this waste and and. Uh, I'll, I'll talk in a moment. I mean, we have the, the as I said, I just want to... Yeah, go on. ...the scale of disasters, which is phenomenal, which is, is really changed the nature of the ocean for the first time in three billion years. Uh, plastic pollution, we take close to 100 million tons of uh, living biomass out of the ocean every year. We generate, we produce about 200 million tons of plastics, and if half of that ends up in the ocean, that means we're, we're literally replacing marine wildlife with... Uh, with the synthetic polymers on a pound-for-pound -pound basis. Oh, gosh. So, you know, you look at, at uh, these, these horrors of industrial overfishing, coastal sprawl, and pollution, and on top of this, we now have fossil fuel-fired climate change, which is warming our oceans, uh, bleaching our corals, actually changing the very chemistry of, of this, uh, uh, of the crucible of life on our, on our blue planet. You know, it's, it's uh, only in recent years we discovered Scientists, their computer models said that given the amount of CO2 we're pumping into the atmosphere, the atmosphere should be even warmer than it is. 
And then they discovered the difference was that a third of this anthropogenic or human-caused carbon is being absorbed by the ocean, which uh, the one of the effects of that is it creates more carbonic acid. The uh, ocean essentially becomes more acidic, which makes it harder for every shell-forming critter from, uh, from corals to clams to uh, get the calcium carbonate out of seawater and build their homes. And, and as a result, as, as we keep increasing the carbon dioxide we put into the atmosphere, and the ocean keeps absorbing have this buffering effect where we could lose uh, most of the world's coral reefs. So it's a scary moment, and of course, you know, it's a horrible moment, but also a moment of horrible opportunity. We're going to have to be back to you, David, after the break. listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. So many key world issues today relate to energy and environment. We are living in a time where world events set us up for a major transformation of our society. Enter Dr. Bernie Balkan. Dr. Balkan is Commissioner for Energy and Transport for the Sustainable Development Commission in the UK. Whether it's the financial crisis, China's transformation, the emergence of India, or Obama's ascension, put yourself on the pulse of today's changes. Listen for Environment on the Edge with Dr. Bernie Balkan, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. Let me 
You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, it's Rob Moyer. I'm sitting in... Rich Delaney's office for the Provincetown Center for Coastal Studies, and I get a view of the city hall right across the street, and then um, looking out the other corner window, I get to see the, the bronze of the pilgrim signing the compact, and then behind it, up, looming up out of the trees, is the uh, monument over Provincetown. So it's a great pleasure to be here. Richard is actually on the phone because he's up at the Science Center. Um, hello, Richard. Tell us about your organization. Hello, Rob, and uh, I'm glad you're enjoying the, the wonderful view I, I enjoy every day <laughs> of the year here. Uh, we, um, the Provincetown Center for Coastal Studies is a, uh, a private, not-for-profit organization. We're in our 34th year. We're situated out here about 45 miles out in the, the, the Atlantic Ocean at the very, very tip of Cape Cod. And uh, our ocean neighborhood is the immediate area around us, the Cape Cod Bay, Mass Bay, and in many, much of our research all the way up into the Gulf of Maine. So, uh, you know, we, we, we've always talked about, uh, that axiom about think globally, and that's where a lot of our big issues are, but we still have to remind ourselves to act locally. So we've been trying to take care of and protect and conserve our resources here for some years. We have a science program, an education program, and a public outreach program, and we also try to make our science available for policymakers and decision makers. I think if we have a buzzword about our work, it's, it's trying to provide meaningful science to make sound decisions about the protection of our coastal and ocean resources. That's fabulous. Tell us about some of the specific science that's happening now at the center. Well, we, 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 our, major, our initial focus, and it continues to be, is uh, on, on marine mammals, particularly the highly endangered North Atlantic right whale, and humpback whales, which frequent our bay uh, during from well the humpback the right whale from January until about May, and now the humpbacks are in until October. Uh, the right whale is one of the most, if not the most, endangered marine mammal uh, anywhere. There are about 350 individuals left. We not only have been tracking and identifying and studying the behavior and population dynamics, but one of our other exciting programs is we run a disentanglement or a rescue program for not only the whales in our area, but we've coordinated that up and down the East Coast for 10 to 15 years, and we actually pioneered these techniques way back in 1985. And the reason that piece is important is because we've been able to document actually disentangling five female right whales that all went on and had calves, the next that's generation a, of right whales. Astounding. It, it's Awesome, the way you guys can come up so close to those huge leviathans and somehow get, you know, what, you have to put some kind of tool at the end of a stick and, and cut the, the, cut them loose and, um, that's so just we, phenomenal. So we use the, we use the same tools in a way that the whalers did to do so much damage to those <laughs> populations, but in reverse, to cut the rope off instead of plunging the, the harpoon in. So Well done, well done. How are the whales doing today? What, what's, what's happening in July for the whales of Mass Bay and Stellwagen Bank? Well, well in, in terms of the, the right whale, um, the population, the, the calves that we identified this year were the most ever, 39. 
It's a hopeful sign. It doesn't mean things are turning around immediately, but that's between our research and a whole lot of our other colleagues putting in place some 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 management techniques like moving shipping lanes or changing fishing gear, we may be moving forward finally. Right now, at this particular time, the humpbacks are in our region, and they are putting on a great display for the whale watch uh, boats, and we use that as an opportunity to educate more people about the importance of these species. Thank you, Richard. This has been really helpful. It's so important, the work you're doing. Um, I'm wondering if um, you and some of your colleagues, like Dr. Stormy Mayo, might be available to talk on the show next week. We'd be, we'd be happy to, Rob. Yeah, so tune in next week for more about the Provincetown Center for Coastal Studies. And uh, thank you, uh, Richard. And we're going to go back to David Helvarg, who was coming across as Mr. Jeremiah of all the problems in the ocean. Uh, help, David. Is there something we can do? Oh, there's lots we can do. I mean, as I say, the, you know, the, the most frustrating part is we know what the answers are. I mean, if we kill, stop killing fish, they tend to grow back. If we stop dumping plastic or producing plastic, we can certainly reduce the pollution. And, and there are really many good examples where it's working. I mean, from the restoration of urban waterfronts like Boston and Baltimore and, and the value of, of healthy seas. Here in California, we just had, uh, uh, the governor had proposed as part of the solution to our economic crisis to reopen offshore drilling, and that was shot down because, as, as Senator Boxer has said, we've got $39 billion of value in terms of tourism, real estate, and, and other values attached to a healthy coastline, and we don't want to risk it for pollution. In, in addition, it's no longer even an issue of, uh, of uh, offshore energy versus marine pollution. It's, it's a product liability issue that... That product, petroleum used, is directed overheats your planet. So um, there are so many solutions that are being practiced from Port Orford, Oregon, and, and you came to the Blue Vision Summit this spring and, and heard uh, there up in Port Orford five fishing families got together and decided to do it right and began cleaning up the watershed and educating the local schools, K through 12, and established when the state uh, opened up the prospect for offshore marine parks, no-take areas, they, they already mapped out where they wanted to put theirs because they realized that by protecting 20 or 25% of the ocean from all extraction, from fishing and drilling, that you actually allow the marine wildlife to, uh, to grow out and you have this spillover effect where fisheries, adjacent fisheries, will actually be improved. And the idea that, that we need to have it uh, sustainable is, is very real. In fact, when I used to go out after my first book, Blue Frontier, came out and I'd talk about the collapse of marine wildlife or climate change and people would come up and they'd say, well, how can I have an impact? I'm, I'm working or I'm in school. I have a family to raise. What can I do with, you know, huge issues like that? And, and the answer, of course, you're already doing something. Everything we do every day has an impact around the seas around us. And so as, as one of Blue Frontier's projects, uh, we wrote 50 Ways to Save the Ocean. It's a book I wrote that's illustrated by Jim Toomey, who does Sherman's Lagoon cartoon, uh, forward by Philippe Cousteau. Philippe is the third-generation Cousteau to be working to protect our, our ocean planet. And um, what is your website? Can people get more information on your website? Absolutely. It's, it's just go to bluefront.org is the website. And we not only have links to 50 Ways to Save the Ocean and to my newest book, Rescue Warriors, the U.S. Coast Guard, America's Forgotten Heroes, but we also have a directory of some 2,000 uh, ocean and coastal citizen groups and agencies and marine parks that are all part of the solution. Um, you know, we we uh, we 
have methods of, of fishing that are more sustainable, and we're beginning to talk about this as policy. We have our, our lead civilian agency for the oceans, NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, was sort of sunk by Richard Nixon in the Department of Commerce, which is very business-oriented. But under, under Barack Obama, under our first body-surfing president, he appointed Jane Lubchenco, who's a scientist from Oregon State, who's very aware of, of uh, how we need to develop an ecosystem-based approach to how we work and, and uh, make our livelihoods in the ocean. And, and uh, in fact, the president has just appointed an ocean task force. One of the other things we do at, uh, on our website is we have uh, Blue Notes, ocean policy uh, newsletter I put out that talks about what citizens can do to engage themselves with their elected representatives to make sure that this task force moves forward and that legislation moves forward. We have uh, the possibilities of, of protecting and restoring our oceans. And, and that, you know, we've had two major ocean commissions report in the last few years that say healthy oceans uh, are response to the ecosystem collapse of our marine environment. It's just not about our environment. It's about our security. It's about our economy. You know, if we want to have sustainable coastal communities, we need healthy oceans that aren't polluted, that don't have harmful algal blooms, that aren't losing all their marine wildlife to overfishing and pollution. And, uh, you know, 50 ways to save the ocean. Number one uh, I have in there is go to the beach. Because go to you the can beach. And to protect what you love. And, and, you know, so many of us just sort of got our first inspiration, the sense of being part of something larger and more wondrous than ourselves, going to the beach. And, and just bring a bag. Make sure you pack out everything you take in. and Don't let your animals chase the wildlife. You know, maybe pick up all the plastic litter you find. And, you know, get that sense of connection. I mean, 71% of our planet is salt water, just like our bodies are 71% salt water. There's a real uh, natural connection many of us feel with the sea around us. And, uh, and the hope is, is that as more of us get involved in what I call a seaweed, marine grassroots citizen initiatives, um, that we can begin to uh, implement these solutions. I love that idea of a seaweed rebellion or initiative. Um, it's, it's what needs to be done. And, and as I say, it's, it's not, you know, we talk about being a blue boater or, you know, diving a conservative way. One of the chapters says don't, you know, don't eat the sharks or let them eat you, you know, respecting the wildlife. I mean, the sharks were, were ancient when dinosaurs were the coming thing. They've been yeah. around for 600 million years, and yet today we're killing them off to provide fins for shark fin soup for the expanding China's middle class is eating cartilage soup with yeah, Dude, I'm going to, to interrupt time. you because we're going to run out of time, and I want to really thank you for taking the time. I understand that you've carved out time before going into an NPR interview, and I want to thank you for doing that for us. Absolutely. I think what you're doing is fabulous. Um, as I say, people can go to bluefront.org to hear more, pick up 50 ways to save the ocean, um, or just you know meet your, your local uh, activists, your surfers and sailors and others who are committed to restoring our oceans. It's uh, you know, I think it's not too late to put the blue back in, in our red, white, and blue. So thanks again for what you do with your show, Rob. Thank you, David. We'll be back with Ocean Champions after the break. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. To spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product. Let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. listening to the green talk network help to spread the green by involving your family and friends you're doing your part and now help them think green spread the green the green talk network you're listening to moyer's environmental dialogues to participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm Rob Moyer. We're back with Ocean River Shields of Achilles. Uh, my guest now is Mike Dunmeyer, who is new... To, relatively new on staff with Ocean with Ocean Champions, Mike. How's it going, and what are you up to there? <laughs> it's going great, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I guess uh, first and foremost, what, uh, what we're up to is working with folks on the Hill, and I'd hope to bring on uh, Congressman Brian Baird this afternoon. Unfortunately, his communications director just let me know that they have called a vote now, uh, uh, so he's not going to be able to join us this week. Hopefully, uh, another week. Um, but in any case, uh, what I've been doing since I came on Ocean Champions, uh, I've got, uh, I'm an MBA strategy guy in terms of my background, so my role on Ocean Champions is, is really more akin to that of a COO. Um, I focus on organizational development, marketing, operations. Uh, my objective really is to, uh, to help Ocean Champions, which has had tremendous 
early success over its first five years, uh, scale up its operations so that we can have even more impact in the future. I've got to do full disclosure here that I was involved in, in co-founding Ocean Champions and serve on the board, and it's been fabulous to see the work that Mike has done. Uh, he first stepped up to help us with organizational planning and how to put our thoughts in a coherent order, and then from that he managed to draw flowcharts and so forth that just are remarkable in their simplicity and complexity at the same time. So it's it's really exciting to see you back on staff, to see you you know on staff and and working uh, to relate and juggle all these different elements. Um, tell us a bit about the diversity of the kinds of challenges that you face working for Ocean Champions. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, I guess first and foremost, my, my first challenge is uh, to try to come up to speed and keep pace with uh, what is a small but very strong team uh, that's doing a remarkably large uh, amount of work. So. Uh, the biggest challenge that we have as an organization is simply being able to uh, uh, do an outstanding job on a number of different issues when you are a small group while simultaneously trying to build the, the base from which we can, we can handle larger and larger levels of activities going forward. So uh, there is uh, you know, the work around the, the, uh, the electoral process, which really is ongoing. It's not just in election years. It, it happens all the time. Uh, evaluating all of the candidates that are out there, looking at our existing champions, looking at new opportunities to, to form relationships with folks on the Hill, uh, as well as then looking to advance critical ocean legislation. And one of the things that I think Ocean Champions does really well um, is that while we do believe that it's critically important to move major issues like uh, the Ocean's 21 bill, ocean governance, marine spatial planning, move things like that forward, uh, we think it's absolutely critical to seize the opportunities to get short-term, smaller things done to really build positive momentum, to, to create opportunities for uh, members of Congress to be heroes around the ocean in their own district, get good work for the oceans done and create this forward momentum that also helps us on things like Oceans 21. So there's, a, there's really a rich field of activity, and right now I'm just trying to come up to speed and keep pace. Um, what, what's one of the examples of, you know, that exemplify the early, promise, the early priorities that you've seen us move through? Like, what's a good story? Well, I'll tell you, one of the, uh, one of the first things, Rob, that, that I wanted to do was establish a presence for Ocean Champions in the social media space. Um, a lot of what Ocean Champions does is really based upon having uh, strong, credible, trusting relationships with members of Congress on the Hill, but we can be much more effective if it's clear to everyone that we represent a large and engaged voice around the oceans, and I think that the world of social media offers great opportunities there. So we, we came out strong uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter, and we're trying to do a lot of different things with this platform. Uh, you know, first, we're gives us the opportunity to share a lot of inside information that we're getting from our unique relationships on the Hill. Uh, but we're also using the platforms to really understand what's important to the people in the ocean community. Um, unlike traditional media, the, the social, social networking platforms really allow for rich two-way conversations, and it's really important to us that, that people engage with us and engage with each other uh, through the Ocean Champions uh, platforms on Facebook and on, on Twitter, and it's it's really helping us to, I think, really understand the, the pulse of the community. And um, the community engages by going to oceanchampions.org. Uh, how else do they engage in this social media? 
Well, if you go to uh, Facebook and do a search on Ocean Champions, you'll find our page there. Uh, yeah. And when you get to that point, you'll see that you know we, we are posting a lot of updates about what's happening with various bills. Uh, we're letting our blogs come through, and we're posting information about uh, ocean issues as they are developing. Uh, and we're looking for people to engage in conversations around these issues, and they are. And some of the things that people are coming out with is, is really interesting and, and shows how deeply committed the community is to, to these issues. I want to thank you for posting this episode of uh, Moyer's Environmental Dialogues on your blog. Uh, I had the, the pleasure of taking the ferry boat from uh, Boston to Provincetown for these meetings. And on the boat were a number of mass ocean planners. And a couple of them came up and said, oh, you're doing a radio show. I saw it on the Ocean Champions blog. So <laughs> it's an important role to get the blog out and around. And it's great that you're providing different avenues or portals that let people understand what's going on. Some people like Twitter and some people like Facebook. Um, I think uh, Twitter, and, and I'll, I, I can uh, jump off this concept in a second, but Twitter is great because it allows us to give instant updates when we're on Capitol Hill. So we can leave a, a meeting with a member and immediately give a quick update on what happened. So it's, it's a nice way for people to stay engaged. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk more oceans and, and critters. or, or what. what um, David Wilmont and Jack Stern are the brainchilds behind Ocean Champions, and and yet uh, David was early, knew you early on, I think, uh, because he's a surfer. Uh, yeah, Dave is a surfer. Um, uh, although he and I uh, go way, way back, and our connection is kind of indirectly through a marine mammal, uh, and that is that uh, we're both fans of the Miami Dolphins. Um, and, uh, <laughs> That's both a blessing and a, and a curse, I suppose. But uh, we met each other when we just showed up at a bar to watch a game one time about 20 years ago, became good friends, started, uh, started talking about common interests, and uh, have found through time that, uh, you know, in addition to having really a questionable choice in athletic teams, uh, we, we both <laughs> had this great love of the ocean and, and really thought we had complementary sets of skills, and we've been looking for the opportunity to work together for some time. And and really, the timing was right. So, yeah, Dave and I go way back, and I've gotten to know Jack over the last uh, three years. And, again, just been really impressed with, with how he thinks about things as well. Both of these guys, uh, Jack and David, as they started Ocean Champions as what is still today the only pack focused on ocean issues, uh, really forward-thinking and innovative. And um, so what, what's the ocean for you and your family? Well, um, I... I grew up around the ocean. I spent uh, about a year in California, almost six in Hawaii, and uh, have spent all my summers not in those two states, uh, on the Delaware shore where my family is from. Uh, and, uh, you know, first and foremost for me, it's one of those things where no matter what is going on in my life, no matter how tense things are or how uh, severe any, any one particular thing might be, if I get in front of the ocean, I calm down. Mm. Uh, and I just I feel good, and it kind of puts things in perspective for me. Um, I've also been a surfer for a long time, and just that sense of being out there and, and moving with this living creature, uh, this, 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 this entity that's so full of energy, uh, is almost a religious experience, I think, on, on some levels. And uh, you know, I've been raising my family around the ocean. I have two little girls that are eight and six that are just fish. They, they love it. And uh, given everything that the ocean means to me emotionally and, and, and just what it's done for me and my family, it really makes me feel like I've got to give back to it. And the time is now. I've, I've got to do what I can to protect it and keep it around for, for my girls and, and, and their children and, and so on. Well, you certainly are. You've, you've left the corporate world that has its 
uh, rewards for uh, the nonprofit world, which is more of a struggle to, or the the low profit world. That's <laughs> um, uh, it, a form of nonprofit. It's a political nonprofit you're working for. And um, but uh, tell us more about sitting on the water and and um, with your board. It, it's I get this. Few of us get to to have that experience. And it, 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 I'm hearing you say that it's like the ocean is heaving under you or something. Oh, you know, first of all, it's never too late. Everybody can always pick up a board and paddle out and, and, and start down that path. But, uh, you know, I think first of all, if you, th- you, know, if you consider a, a setting of uh, paddling out for an early morning low tide just as the sun is coming up, uh, in situations like this, it seems like to me I always run into dolphins out playing on the water or you know, doing their early morning fishing, and it's just very peaceful. And if you have a really nice swell pumping through, uh, inevitably you're going to push yourself to, to drop into some waves that might be a bit beyond your ability. And you know, when you start paddling, you can feel the ocean pick you up and suck you in, and you pop up and, and, and take the drop. And it feels as though you're going down a, you know, a 20-story building at you know 100 miles an hour. Of course, the reality is most of what I'm surfing is maybe head high, so I, yeah. I exaggerate. <laughs> Uh, but you get that sensation, and you know you get to the bottom and realize you're going to make that turn back up the face of the wave and come down the line, and, and you're going to live, and it's incredible. And then you know the the, the waves themselves are unpredictable what they're going to do, and, and just moving with them and sharing that energy is incredible and should be protected. Wow, just hearing you talk about it is a gift for those of us who can't be out there. I can imagine people in their cars, or I guess they're not in the cars for this radio show, but people um, slowing down what they're doing just to relate to what you're talking about. Um, gosh, it's just incredible. And, and indeed, you know, I think we find that there are a lot of people that dive, uh, snorkel, um, or, or just enjoy walking down the beach and, and uh, you know, looking in tide pools and, and generally beach coming. Everyone's got some emotional connection to the ocean that, that kind of comes into this movement. And it, you know, through whatever vehicle they've got, it touches them in a special way. And, and it's neat to get out and hear the stories of the divers and Stories of the people that, uh, that that kite board, and the stories of the people that just you know walk on the beach for long, long. Uh, well, know. the thing about going to beaches and going tide pooling is that's something where dads can look good. You know, <laughs> now, we're going to have to break. Here comes the music, um, but uh, we're going to return with um, with Mike Dunmire, and we're going to talk more about what's happening on Capitol Hill uh, for legislation to save the oceans. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can we recognize our world not as a commodity, but as a sacred creation that will support us best the more creatively we live on it? Green Visions is all about how a spirit of innovation and pleasure can be brought into solving our environmental problems. Join your host, Carolyn North, each week as she talks about what citizens of the world are doing to make a difference. Heal the planet, heal yourself, and have a good time doing it. Tune in to Green Visions with Carolyn North every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back and we're going to talk about that black, hairy blob of filamentous algae that's up there in the Chutkai Sea, north of the Bering Sea, in the Arctic Ocean, swirling between Alaska and Siberia. And uh, it has been, I've been watching it on the Rachel Maddow Show, and scientists have been reporting this thing down. Um, and also the indigenous hunters up there haven't seen anything like it. Uh, Mike Dunmire is with us um, from Ocean Champions. Last week, uh, David uh, Wilmot of Ocean Champions told us, uh, confirmed that it was filamentous algae and so forth. But Mike's going to tell some more about uh, what is happening around the country to address um, algal blooms of uh, monst, you know, these um, threatening blooms of algal monstrosities in our various oceans. Hi, Mike. Hey, Rob. So I guess, uh, I guess first of all, quick uh, just primer. Um, that that nasty hairy thing that's off the coast of Alaska and and may yet eat the state if we don't uh, don't watch it carefully. Uh, I have not seen that the toxicity tests are back um, on it yet, but its sheer biomass suggests that it'll create a nasty hypoxic zone that could create fish kills and have other marine impacts. Um, but there are uh, a range of different kinds of algaes, uh, many of them toxic. Uh, some of them just large and harmful in other ways that are, that are causing problems all along our coastal waters. Let me interrupt uh, for a second. The, um, 
about that blob in the Chutkai Sea, uh, when you, when Rachel Maddow shows it on television, it is a long line, and it looks to me, having been on the ocean, like one of those subduction zones where two different bodies of water are meeting, and water is going down, and so it's like a treadmill, and, and so the, the, the crud accumulates along this edge. And those are very biologically productive places, and hopefully, um, and that may be why the hunters rec- saw it, because they were there, because they know it's a biological place to go fishing and stuff. So I personally am not too worried about hypoxia uh, in that situation, although one wonders if um, it's never been seen before because of the openness of the Arctic Ocean has never been so open in the summertime. Have you heard anything relating this blob to um, climate change? You know, I, and I was I was scouring the net to try to find some current information on it. I've not seen too many other reports, but it is unusual since you, know, you usually see these blooms in, in warmer climates. Uh, so that's certainly uh, feasible. And what's interesting, too, is just to take this as an example, uh, there are so many different causes of these blooms. Some are well understood. Most, though, still have a long way to go until we really understand what's driving them. Uh, I've seen... Uh, uh, dust from the Sahara Desert now rumored as being a, a driver of some of the red tides in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, yeah, so it's really unusual stuff. Well, I'm here in New England, and I love fried clams. And we get our clam flats closed down because of these red tides. We have a red tide. I don't know if it's still going on, but last week Dave Wilmot informed us that there was a red tide in the Gulf of Maine. Um, so we've got a problem of algal blooms, and some are harmful and some are not. Um, what, what can be done about it? Well, uh, uh, at least in terms of uh, what Ocean Champions is working on immediately, there is a really good bill uh, that has been introduced in the Senate that uh, would uh, direct dollars and organizational structure to pull together all of the research that's going on. It also then gets into all of these regional variations and looks to identify the, the differences in specific drivers in state, region, and, and local levels. But then it also goes to uh, move the research into implementation and mitigation. So it's, it's a good bill. Uh, as I mentioned, it's been introduced in the Senate. We're working hard to get it passed. Uh, at this point, there are 10 official co-sponsors. Uh, uh, and it's really interesting because these co-sponsors are, are it's bipartisan, and you're getting people from really both ends of the ideological spectrum. So you've got Vitter and Landrew from the, the far right uh, signed on as co-sponsors, as well as uh, Boxer and Levin on the far left. Uh, and you've also got moderates from each party, Snow and Collins, moderate Republicans, as well as uh, Nelson and Laudenberg, moderate Dems. Uh, and then we've heard uh, from These are senators Senator now, so staff and, and Senator uh, uh, Burris's staff that they will be on the bill, and we're getting very encouraging signals from uh, Senator Lautenberg as well. Uh, so, you know, good bipartisan support for this in the Senate, um, and uh, the, the committee chair is, is Olympia Snow, uh, who's introduced the bill, so it's a good sign in, in that regard as well. Is it an um, expensive bill? Are they going to come after it because it's pork or something? You know, it, it does not seem to have any natural enemies. If you think about who can be pro-toxic tides, right? Uh, who is for that thing in Alaska? Um, uh, it's not is, a very expensive uh, bill, though, because it's just some research and some mitigation funds or something. It would be, it would be authorized at $40 million a year. Um, the reality is it will likely be appropriated at a number, uh, you know, half of that or so, but that's still you know, very effective money because in some cases we're ready to move towards mitigation and actually address some of these causes. In others, 
we can start to build the path towards making those connections. Well, that's excellent because it flies below the radar of the fiscal conservatives all jacked up about you know spending too much money and stuff. As this is very exciting. How's it doing in the House? Support. And tell us a bit about um, Congressman Brian Baird's role in that. Indeed. So uh, in the House, it has not yet been introduced, um, but uh, Brian Congressman Baird uh, is going to introduce it. He is the uh, the chair of the uh, uh, Science and Technology Committee's subcommittee on the Energy and the Environment. Uh, so, and, and that is the committee and subcommittee where the bill will originate. So if you've got your chair introducing it, that's a good sign already. Uh, uh, Congressman Bart Gordon is the chair of the larger committee. He also is a big supporter of this bill. Um, we know from talking to committee staff that they're going to write the bill uh, over the August recess, and they're going to start with the Senate version, and that's really good because one, we like the Senate version because we think it's a really good comprehensive bill, uh, and also because if the two bills start closer together, it makes passing them through both houses of Congress jointly at the end much, much easier. Um, so it should be written over the, over the break, and then hopefully it will be introduced uh, in September, thereabouts. Um, we've had conversations with many members, and we've got a whole slew of people ready to sign on as co-sponsors as soon as it's introduced. Um, and again, given the level of bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate, we're hopeful uh, that the bill can move very, very fast. Um, the, the one thing that uh, is, is a risk right now is simply that there are so many large, hairy things going on in Congress between health care, climate bills, uh, the economy, and, and two wars, that you run the risk of, of just not getting the attention that you need uh, but we are getting uh, inside information. Well, it sounds doable, and that's a lot of it. It's not a, a partisan issue. Should citizens uh, and listeners uh, write to their congressmen and say, and senators say, do you hear about this bill supported or something? Absolutely. That's a great point, Rob. So if you go to the Ocean Champions website, www.oceanchampions.org, and click on uh, 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 legislation, you'll see our HABS page, and that gives you a jumping-off point where you can send a letter to your senators uh, we've sent uh, over 1,100 of those uh, of those letters already, encouraging them to jump on as co-sponsors in the Senate. As soon as the bill comes out in the House, we'll have similar advocacy opportunities as well. So please do look uh, to the Ocean Champions website. Thank you, Michael. We're out of time, but this is very important. You can read more about it at oceanchampions.org, uh, and stay tuned to our next broadcast, and we'll have Ocean Champions back for that to give us the latest. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Rob!